0: I'm Terry Woods with Texas Storytellers. And this is the first episode of a very special series for Christmas. There were some people who submitted stories just for this series. I'm going to get to read one to you. But first I want you to know that we're brought to you by Woodlands Online. You can watch us on our Roku station, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio and others. And this special series is brought to you and sponsored by Herb and Beat. Later in the show, an old friend of mine is coming on to read one of his stories. But first, our first entry by Kayla Adams. And um, I'm going to need my spectacles, Christmas ones, of course. To read the story. Christmas on Raconteur. Once there was an island that stood between waking and sleeping. It was called Raconteur meaning storyteller. It truly was an island of storytellers and the biggest was the Princess Gracie. Her big brothers called the King Brothers, by everyone on the island, were the rulers. They loved to celebrate things. Any excuse to have a ball was a good one. This time, it was a celebration from the other land called Christmas. I think I found it, Gracie said proudly. She crawled her way out of the large stack of books she was drowning in. Her friend Thomas watched this struggle in amusement. Do you need a life raft? He teased. What a way to go, drowned in a sea of words, Gracie said, Gracie said dramatically. He laughed and pulled her up from, by one arm while she held on to the bulky book with the other. The history of Christmas she read and showed the book to him. It was red leather and had the title in gold letters. A green tree was in the middle. How can you have a history? You've never had Christmas before, he asked. Not our history, silly. The history of the other land, she replied. You know, I'm from the other land, which means I probably know more than some old book. Her friend said, He looked offended. Not true, she said. This book is hundreds of years old, and you're only 12. Thomas huffed and left. The princess followed him with her with her book. The two kids decided to get a tree first. Gracie wore her play clothes so she wouldn't get dirt on her nice dress. They went to the village where all the farmers lived. It was so gray in the village that people still talked about that one time someone brought a red balloon into the baker's shop And how a crowd of villagers stared at it for an hour, until the baker shooed them away. Now, this didn't mean the people were gray. They were the nicest and happiest people you would ever meet. Well, why is it so small, Thomas asked. Maybe it's a baby, Gracie guessed. They moved over to the big trees. That's too big, he said. His friend looked over at him. You know, there's just no pleasing you sometimes. She said and flicked her her raven black hair over her shoulder. The owner came over. Have you chosen a Christmas tree, princess? he said using air quotes in his voice she nodded lightly we seem to not be able to decide on the size she said giving her friend a look with her intense green eyes all the island people had intense eyes it's either too small or too tall thomas said The man thought a little and then grabbed one of the small trees. How tall do you want it? He asked. As tall as me, the boy said. The owner put the tree on the ground and blew on it. The tree got taller, its limbs getting long like a person who is stretching. Tall enough, he said. Thomas nodded in shock. He could never get used to the magic on the island. It was so normal for them, but amazing for him. Gracie grabbed the tall tree, and they went back to the castle to decorate it. Imagine every fairy tale castle you have ever seen or heard about. Gracie's castle beat them all. It was even more amazing now because the castle servants had put shiny things around it to resemble the Christmas lights they had seen in Gracie's books. Wow, they're fast, Thomas commented. Those were not there when when they had left for the village. It's very nice, the princess told one of the gardeners. A woman by the name of Juliet. Well, I hope so. A couple of us fell off the roof, she yelled back. The people were were pretty much indestructible, unlike regular people, who would not enjoy falling off roofs very much. Are they all right? Gracie asked. Juliet nodded. The next thing after the tree was baking cookies. Do you even know how to bake? Thomas asked. Well, of course, I, I know how. Gracie snapped with her hands on her hips. She didn't really. But she wasn't about to tell Thomas that. Why don't we just let the cook do that? her friend said, remembering the incident when she tried to make cake. He didn't even know milk could explode. Neither did I. What is the next thing in your wise book? He said sarcastically. He was still bitter about being replaced with a book. Dancing, she said. It says... People would be dancing. The castle ballroom was a large open room with a floor that showed different pictures on spring days. It would reflect flowers on spring days. In winter, snow, summer, vines. And for fall, it would change colors to represent the different colors leaves are on trees. So we've already discussed the fact that I can't dance, Thomas said. Gracie laughed oh don't worry I will teach you she held his hand and tried to waltz with him ow my foot she said holding her injured toes and jumping up and down so I can't do it he muttered no don't leave you just need practice she said grabbed him grabbing him back They danced for an hour, and after many trips and stepped on toes, Thomas finally got the hang of dancing. Well, enough not to step on people's feet. It was all she could ask from him for that moment. Lastly, we need nice clothes, Gracie said. Do you have to wear a suit, Thomas moaned. He didn't like suits either. His friend took his shoulders and looked at him like he was a soldier about to go to battle. You can do it. I believe in you, she said in mock. Seriously, (laughs) Thomas said, fake laughing at her. Uh, He went home to change. She ran to her room to find a nice dress. She found one that was red and green. These were Christmas colors. The hour for the ball finally came. All of the island people came to the castle. Farmers dressed in their best clothes, ladies in fancy dresses of every color you could think of. Most had voted to follow the princess's example and picked different shades of red and green. The children were in sweaters. Most of them wandered around. And they wondered how other land people could wear them. They were so (laughs) itchy. Thomas came in with his mother, Pandora, wearing his brown suit that was almost the same shade as his hair. His mother had tried to fix it, but it insisted on staying in its natural state, of sticking up. Gracie came out in her long red and green silk dress. She had fixed her hair with a white headband that contrasted with her black hair. Her brothers stood beside her as they welcomed all of the guests for coming. How they were so delighted and all of the other things grown-ups had had to say at parties went on. They had matching black hair, but Jonathan, the older brother, had blue eyes. while David, her older brother, had hazel eyes. While trying to stay polite, Gracie leaned over to her brothers. "Can I go get food now?" she whispered. "Yes, if you get each, if you get each of us a cookie." David said with a smirk. "'We'll see,' their sister joked. She went over to the food. The cook had made gingerbread, and, and it, spelled, it smelled like spices. And the gingerbread was in the shape of little men and houses with frosted windows. "'What is that? I love that smell,' Gracie asked. The lady ladled her drink, made the girl a glass. It's a sweet drink made from fruits and ginger ale, the lady explained. Gracie took one sip and coughed. (coughs) She did not like it. She decided to try the drink that looked like milk but tasted like eggs. It was much better. I saw that a voice said from voice said behind her surprising her she reacted on impulse and re- electrocuted the person behind her electricity was one of their powers john thomas jumped back ow he said sorry but you shouldn't have snuck up on me like that gracie said checking to see if her friend was okay he was though now his hair was sticking up more than usual. Have you tried this egg drink? She said, trying to make him feel better. Yes, I don't like it, he said. Gracie shrugged and put the cup back. You want to dance? The princess asked. In front of all these people, he said, scared. Don't worry, you can do this. She grabbed his hand and took him to the area where people were dancing. The rest of the ball went very well. People had fun. The highlight was when the children played a game where they raced each other around, uh, raced each other across the dance floor in their socks. It was even more fun when the adults tried it. (laughs) They They fell over much more than the children did. The sweets were eaten very quickly except for the fruit cake. Most people thought it was part of the decorations. They seemed to like this Christmas and decided to do it again next year. And folks that was the first Christmas at tour. oh yes storytellers is a great name for that story because it sure told a good one and as i told you an old friend of mine is going to be reading a story next when we started texas storytellers i was here and so was a friend who's a legitimate storyteller mark Hader. Mark Hader is coming back for this special series. He wrote some Christmas stories that he'd like to read with his wife, Kay Hayter. Mark, take it away.
1: Hello, this is Mark Hader. I am uh, getting ready to read some stories to you over a period of oddly enough, 12 days, as in the 12 days of Christmas. What I'm reading to you are stories I wrote course of many years of writing, and what I've done is I've selected 12, 10 of which are in this book I wrote that is now available on Amazon.com, Christmas Storybook Stories by Mark Hader. The artwork is uh, from a friend of mine, an artist named uh, Joe Cobb, and the first story I'm going to read here is called Mrs. B's Christmas Play get you some coffee or eggnog, whatever. But ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Lance Blylevin was chosen ramrod of the Christmas play at Milford Elementary back in 92. Milford's music teacher, Ann Lupkin, was in the middle of a big divorce and just didn't feel in the mood to put on a play. Always thinking of herself, Ann was. Truth be told, Ann Lupkin had pretty much shut down in early November. Everyone knew she was better off without the cheating slug, but try to tell her that. School Superintendent Rafe Weaver waited three weeks before the Christmas play to decide on the replacement for Lupton. Weaver, as well as the entire town, knew that the only capable candidate was Blylevin. They also knew that the cantankerous, sour, chain-smoking old fusspot would rather ride a derailed train across a narrow bridge than put on a play. No one could really blame the woman. Mrs. B was the best little theater director-actor in a three-county area. Producing a children's Christmas play with no-talent group of knuckleheads at Milford Elementary would kill her reputation. She would be committing theoretical, theoretical suicide, and for what? She didn't even like the kids, not one bit. During the first day of their argument, Weaver offered Mrs. B $300 to take charge of the play. She laughed at the offer. She had recently sold her dry cleaners to Malford Reed who owned a hardware store next door. The lady was sitting pretty, financially speaking. No amount of bribing, bribing, soft soaping, or coercion would sway the woman. She couldn't even be prayed into taking the job, and believe me, it was tried. There were uh, Wednesday night prayer meetings at the Second Baptist, Calvary Baptist, and Glory Road Pentecostal. God apparently was not tuned in because Mrs. B would not budge. Not an inch. Mr. Weaver finally had to resort to extortion. On day three he said, as president of the Milford Little Theater, I'm here to tell you that the only way you will get to direct and star in the upcoming production of Steel Magnolias is for God to turn my right arm white with leprosy, or for you to agree to put on the Christmas play. Gee, Buzz, Crispy Rafe, she said. You can't do that. Rafe Weaver uh, reached across the desk, grabbed a stapler, and started stapling the uh, uh, wad of return call notices that had collected on his desk. Finally put the staper down and said, Bibi, I'm afraid Nancy has informed me that she would like to play Weezer Boudreaux in Steel Magnolias. And I must tell you, that woman has considerable sway in our house. Mrs. B. raised her voice a couple of octaves. Rafe, your wife can't act. And I happen to know that you're not stupid enough to think she can before speaking, Mr. Weaver grabbed the stapler again, opened it up, and checked to see if he should reload the thing. I know that B.B., he said calmly, I know the entire town knows she's terrible on the stage. Pause. Before speaking, Mr. Weaver grabbed the stapler again, opened it up, and checked to see if he should reload the thing. I know that, Bibi. He calmly said. The entire town knows she's terrible on the stage, but, and it's a big but. She promised that if I would let her be in the play, I could back out of our Tuesday night tango lesson. So in my heart of hearts, I, I don't really care one way or the other if you direct the Christmas play. It's it's a win-win for me either way. He said probably needs to be said that at this time, Rafe Weaver, having dealt with unreasonable parents for a couple of days, had become well adept at bending the truth, or or crushing the daylights out of the truth. Before storming out of the office, Mrs. B grabbed Weaver's stapler, took it with her outside. She considered it childish to throw objects across the room when upset, so she handed the stapler to Barry Simpson the school secretary who was smoking in the parking lot over by uh, her Mazda. It didn't faze Betty one bit. She just nodded and said, He can be a beast, can't he? During the first afternoon of rehearsals, Mrs. B didn't let five minutes expire without letting all us kids know that she was directing this finger-stinking play under protest. No, duh. We were all scared to death of the woman. The only thing that scared me more than Mrs. B was the fact that I was chosen to be Joseph in the play. Joseph was an important character. He had a speaking part and everything. He had to ask the innkeeper for a room. He had to welcome the wise men and then tie up their camels. And it, He had to take gold and frankenstance and murph uh, from them and hand them to Mary. Charlotte Plum was in the third grade and was the absolute perfect choice for Mary. I I was also in the third grade and was the absolute worst choice for Joseph. There were girls who could have played the part more convincingly. When you shut down the corn, you'll realize that the scariest thing about being Joseph was having to hold Charlotte's hand for about ten seconds. I just couldn't do that. It would cause some serious cell-sapping in my brain. A week into rehearsal, I got up enough nerve to tell Mrs. B that I couldn't be Joseph. She could yell at me, hit me, and even kill me, but I just couldn't do it. I'd never be able to remember my lines, and I'd die of infantigo uh, if I had to hold a girl's hand. I had heard Mom mention infantigo once when I got a boil on my rear. Uh, the The word fascinated me, not so much the boil, though. Mrs. B. let me whine for a good, ooh, minute before she said, Benjamin, let me shovel a little rat fat at you. I chose you to be Joseph because you're the best boy in the third grade. You're smart and cute, but you're only going to be cute for a little while, Bosco. Then you turn into a pimply awkward freak just like every other kid. So be Joseph while you've still got it in you, kid. You'll thank me later. That's when I bursted out crying. I couldn't help it. Gee, Crispies, Mrs. B said, turn off the smeg and spigot. If not Joseph, who can you be? I told her that maybe I could be a sheep or a camel or maybe a tree. Yeah, a, a tree. There are no trees in Bethlehem, she said. It is in the Smiggan Desert. Don't you know anything, kid? I've got too many camels and nerf herder sheep as is. She rubbed her forehead and then the palm of her hand like she was, uh, you know, trying to rub a thought into her brain. Then she said, there's one way out. Look, kid, would you happen to be a Buddhist or a Muslim or maybe Jehovah's Witness? I don't know about them, but uh, are you any of those? I told her that I might be a Buddhist. She actually laughed. Then she said, I tell you what, num you can be a reindeer during the Dasher dancing Santa scene. How's that? Okay, but please not, Rudolph. Boy, I was really pushing it. Great gobs of Goosenot, you're killing me, boy, she said. Okay, you can be Nixon, she said. Nixon, I said. Yeah, you know, uh, Prancer Donald and Nixon, you'll be the last reindeer upstage right. You don't say nothing, you don't do nothing, except pull the Belgian burping sleigh with all the other little idiots. What do you think? Mrs. B was the best describer of stuff I ever knew, and I loved her to pieces. She wasn't mean at all, not really. I couldn't wait to get home and tell Mom and Dad it would break Bob's heart, but Daddy would be really glad for me. Nixon, you're gonna play Nixon in a Christmas play? I would do a little explaining to Daddy about how Mrs. B talked. Oh, you mean like Prancer, Donder, and Brixton? Daddy said. My Daddy had some word issues of his own. The auditorium was packed that Thursday night. This was going to be big, really big. Three minutes into the curtain was supposed to go up, Uh, Mrs. B walked up to me and said, Hey Nixon, take the stupid pipe cleaner antlers off your skull and put this bathrobe on. Loser Larry is tossing chowder in the bathroom so you're going to be Joseph again. And don't worry, you'll still get to be Nixon. I knew it. I knew it. But I've I've got this black stuff on my nose, I said. I can't be Joseph with a reindeer nose. Mrs. B. nodded in agreement. Well, not in a perfect world, you can't. But this is Milford Bosco, so I don't want to hear another Sith spitting word out of you. There's no arguing with the woman. I put the robe on and ran to the other side of the stage, positioning myself right next to Charlotte Plum. She looked over at me, smiled, and said, I'm glad it's you. I've never heard such a thing. Nobody has ever been glad it was me. Just as the curtain began to rise, Charlotte took my antlers off and then took my hand. We walked past the cardboard, welcome to Bethlehem sign, right to the inn. At that very moment, something came over me. It was a Christmas miracle. I was actually doing something scary as all get out yet. I didn't care. I had a black nose and was wearing a gray bathrobe about three sizes too big for me, but. I did not care. How crazy is that? I could have done Joseph in my sleep. In fact, I had. Fear had pretty well branded the scene in my cranial. And you know something? Charlotte was still holding my hand when Floyd, the innkeeper, answered the door. And Charlotte kept hold of my hand until she had put baby Jesus in the manger. Turned out, I was great every one of those wise men forgot his lines. Every one of them. I ended up saying their lines as I grabbed the gold and frankenstance and Merv. Oh, and once I had to shove a camel and a couple of sheep out of the way so the audience could see what was happening. I owned the moment. The way I saw it, God wanted me to play Joseph, so he uh, let me nail the uh, role. Black nose and all. Oh, and turns out after you've been Joseph, being a reindeer is a piece of rat fat the audience seemed to get a kick out of us. Parents are the best audience in the world. As soon as the curtain came down it opened right back up. Instantly we were all practically blinded by a thousand or so camera flashes. Eventually Mrs. B walked on stage and said nice things about us. Then she lied about what a joy it was for her to be asked to take charge of the play. After the curtain closed for the final time Charlotte took my hand and told me she was glad I got to be Joseph. I have no idea what I said in response, but I'm pretty sure it was stupid. A couple of months later, Mom and Dad took me to the Villas County Little Theater to see Steel Magnolias. I didn't understand play much, but I will always remember how good Mrs. B was. She didn't play Weezer Bordeaux. She was Weezer Bordeaux. After the play, I brought my program up to her to see if uh, she would sign it for me. I saw a couple of ladies do that, so I figured it was okay. Mrs. B. graciously took my program, wrote an entire paragraph on it, handed it to me, and gave me a big hug. We hadn't gotten into cursive yet, so I couldn't make out a word of what she wrote. When I got in the car, I asked my mom to read it for me. She read, Benjamin, Isn't it weird how some things we hate to do most turn out to be the best things for us? You were the best that happened to me during my first Christmas play experience. You were a good Joseph, and I'm pretty sure you're a good kid. Merry Christmas, Nixon, Mrs. B. A cantankerous, sour old fusspot, maybe to others. Mrs. B was no slug in a ditch to me. No, the thought of that woman has always warmed my heart. More so during the holidays. Oh, and I also have fond thoughts of Charlotte Plum. She was the first person to ever be glad it was me. (laughs) That's something you remember. Merry Christmas, everybody.
0: Oh, just as I told you, Mark is a real storyteller. I loved that story. And as we end this episode of Texas Storytellers, we're brought to you by Woodlands Online. You can watch us on Roku Station, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and others. And our very, very worthy sponsor is Herb and Beat. Urban Beat partners with local farms and vendors for the freshest food possible. It's located at 448 Sawdust Road, The Woodlands, Texas, on the corner of Sawdust Road and Booty Road. Check it out. Let us know, it's gonna be worth the trip. Until next time, I'm Terry Woods.